Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity um, to learn from Andy. Thank you for calling him into this incredible role of public Christianity. Thank you for the, the gifts that you have given him. Thank you for the, the wide reading he has done, the many people he has spoken to from all different kinds of faith backgrounds and no faith at all. Father, we pray a particular blessing on him and his life and his ministry, as no doubt he faces uh, the brunt of criticism and attacks often for upholding the name of Jesus. So I pray, Father, that you will give him real encouragement, um, that you will give him stickability in his role, and that you'll give him power from your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this glorious gospel that we have to proclaim. And help us, Father, to be wise in how we proclaim it. Help us to understand the various cultures that we are speaking into. And Father, um, as, as the Lord Jesus himself said in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, wherever you are, you will be my witnesses. Father, give us boldness that, and, and, and courage that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Um, so Father, bless Andy and bless us as we listen to him. Speak through him, we pray, for our good and for the building of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Right, Andy, I'll switch my video off now and hand over to you. Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you uh, for that introduction, Jeremy, and that, and that prayer. And great to be uh, with you uh, all uh, this morning. Hope you're having a, a wonderful start uh, to the weekend, enjoying the sun shining and, and all. And it's great to be coming to you, you know, virtually from down the coast in, in Dundee, 90 minutes south uh, from, uh, from many of you. And uh, I'm going to put a screen share on and uh, in a minute and switch over to my slide deck. For those who haven't seen it, I put a link into the chat uh, where there is a website link we put up on the Solas website with all the slides from today, both this talk and the one that I'm gonna do after the coffee break in the panel, and also links to resources linked to those things. So if you want to uh, you know, go through some of the material I'm gonna share with you at a slightly slower speed, or you want to find things that let you dig deeper in some I'm talking about this morning, we've set that webpage up for you. Just go to solas-cpc.org forward slash 12th of June, very uh, unique and memorable uh, uh, URL there. And I hope you can find that helpful. Well, let me just uh, turn my slide, uh, my screen share on, and then we'll dive into our first uh, topic of the day and uh, how to share your faith uh, in Jesus without looking uh, like an idiot. And by way of context, I mean, Jeremy uh, gave you a little bit of my background there. As he said, I work for this organization, a organization called SOLAS, uh, based uh, in Dundee, but covering the whole of Scotland and, uh, and across uh, the UK. And we're an evangelism and evangelism training organization. So I, I love talking to audiences like yourselves, uh, but I get most passionate about talking to, to non-Christian audiences. And normally when we're not in COVID times, myself and my colleagues, we spend most of our time uh, in sort of places outside the four walls of the church we often will help churches put on evangelistic events in places like coffee shops and pubs and cafes and curry houses and, and workplaces and really going where non-christians are to help engage their questions and share why we think that the, there are persuasive reasons why the christian faith is true in the last uh, year and a half obviously with the restrictions we've done lots of that online and uh, we found kind of webinars are a great way to do that and uh, and I was talking to a couple of the, your leaders before we started who were saying that actually with this training program you're doing, you know, doing it online has enabled more people to come from further afield. We found the same. And again, on the Solas website, if you want to see some of the ways we've done online evangelism in the last year, do uh, hop over to the website at some point and, and you can catch up on uh, some of those webinars. Perhaps share them with a friend. If you've got a non-Christian friend who you think the topic we covered might be interested in, uh, you can push them that way. 
We're also known for our short answers uh, kind of videos, these three to four minute videos addressing common questions about the Christian faith. Uh, so if the stuff I've, I share with you today encourages you to, to get out there a bit more with your non-Christian friends and you worry that, well, what if I got asked a question, something difficult I couldn't answer? Again, the short answers video series is there to help you in your evangelism. And one last quick plug for so last and we'll dive in is to get all of this is possible because we have christians across the country supporting us uh with us with tiny tiny little monthly donations and if you're excited by some of what i share today i'd love to get behind what solas does again through the website you can get behind us help us do more of it and we'll send you a book as a gift but i'm uh, an evangelist and apologist at heart but i never i never used to be um i started out in the secular world before i went into ministry and in fact my first job was working for the psychiatry department of a large London teaching hospital, St George's Hospital down in London where I worked in medical administration and, uh, and I loved my years working there in the late 1990s. It was a lot of fun, I had a great team of colleagues and the job was uh, very rewarding um, but as I look back on my time in the secular workplace now with sort of a few decades of hindsight, um, I feel considerable guilt that when I was working there at uh, the medical school in the 1990s, I was very much uh, an undercover Christian. In fact, I've always thought that undercover Christian make a great movie title, uh, you know, uh, all about sort of Christians sneaking around the workplace, hoping nobody would actually discover they are in fact Christians. In fact, when, when the TV series Silent Witness came out a few years ago, I initially thought maybe this would be a movie about Christians in the workplace trying not to get outed uh, for their faith. And in the sense that I was an undercover Christian, what I mean by that was, although I was involved in lots of ministry um, outside of work, I was involved in youth work at my church, I was a very active member of my local church, very committed Christian, uh, inside the workplace, inside the workplace, I, I hid my faith away. I took my little light and I kept my light under a bowl and I kept the bowl in a box and I surrounded the box by blackout curtains, you know, hoping that nobody would notice I was a Christian would ask me awkward questions about my faith or so on and so forth and what was interesting is I wasn't alone in this I remember the the week before I left St George's after having worked there sort of five six years um my colleagues threw a little leaving lunch to say goodbye to me and I discovered at this leaving lunch that a colleague from three doors down on our corridor at the medical school who I'd worked with quite closely over the last five years I discovered that she was also a Christian but she had also been playing undercover Christian and we've both been so secretive about our faith, neither is new about the other one. And again, looking back on this experience of, be, of trying to be a Christian in the workplace and failing, and I think this is a very common experience, actually. I meet many Christians who say to me they keep quiet about their faith at work, they, they hide it away, they, they say nothing. Um, I found it interesting to reflect on the question, what was I, what was I afraid of? What, what are we afraid of? Why are many Christians nervous when it comes to evangelism. And I think fear is a very common emotion that holds many Christians back from perhaps engaging more actively in sharing their faith at work or among their circle of friends or wherever it is they meet non-Christians. And I think when you ask people that, when I look back on my own uh, experience, I think a, a number of common things come to the fore. If you'd ask the, the 25 year old me why I didn't share my faith more publicly, I think I would have probably said things like, well, I'm a I'm afraid of looking foolish, right? What if I talk about my faith or try to, and I look stupid, wouldn't that be terrible? Uh, more, perhaps a, a slightly holier motive might be, I'm afraid of making God look bad. 
I remember one one woman I was talking to once after an event like this that we done in person came up to me afterwards and she said that was so helpful. She said, because for years, I've never talked about my faith at work because I'm afraid I would say something stupid that would make God look bad. And so the best thing I can do for evangelism is just say nothing. Uh, it's probably more effective if I just keep my mouth shut, which I thought was quite a very sad little comment, really. I'm afraid of standing out is a common thing for many of us. I talk to many Christians in the workplace who write, you know, the workplace can feel very ideological, very toxic, especially right now. And the last thing I think many Christians want to do is stand out from the crowd and, and look different. And so we, we keep our heads down. Um, being afraid of the implications for my career. That was probably something the 25 year old me would have said. And uh, I meet many Christians for whom this is an issue if they're in the workplace. Uh, that, you know, you get labeled as being difficult or awkward or a, a religious fundamentalist or any of these kind of lovely adjectives that are often applied to people of faith. There can be a fear, well, that would impact my career. So again, I'm just going to keep quiet and say nothing. And then finally, I think if you'd asked the 25 year old me, why I didn't share my faith at work more? I think I'd probably have said, well, what if I'm asked a question I don't know the answer to? And I run into this a lot. I often meet Christians who say, well, if I talk to my, if I mention at work that I'm a Christian, or to my non-Christian family members, or to my, my neighbours, and if I, you know, try and share my faith, what if they raise a question? What if they ask some really difficult question or objection to the Christian faith that I couldn't possibly answer, uh, and therefore the best thing is to say nothing? Now, I'd say those were my sort of feelings back there in the 1990s, and I think today it's in any sense it's got harder. I think the pressure on Christians in the workplace and the public square can be tremendous, and I think many Christians, you know, feel they should be doing more evangelism, but are afraid of, uh, of doing evangelism. Not least, of course, in the, in the current cultural setting, there's all this baggage right now associated with Christianity. And so I think many people are afraid if they you know, come out as a Christian, they're going to be associated with a particular type of pol uh, uh, po um, politics, for example, or there are labels that are thrown around. You might be accused of being you know, homophobic or transphobic or whatever it is. And so again, it can be really tough think about evangelism in, a, in this, current, uh, in this current, current climate. So given all of that background, that's the kind of problem, that's where we're going to begin. How do we talk about Jesus without looking like uh, an idiot? And of course, you know, who better to illustrate an idiot than uh, Rowan, Rowan uh, Atkinson in uh, Blackadder there for you. And uh, given all of that background, how do we share our faith without looking like this guy, without coming across as a dribbling lunatic, uh, a fundamentalist or any other sorts of adjectives. You know, I can understand why Christians are nervous given our current cultural context. And in fact, the title for today's seminar actually came from a friend who years ago said to me, he said, I would just love to be able to feel confident that I could share my faith without looking like an idiot. Because I think many of us are afraid if we try it, it will go badly wrong. And in fact, to illustrate what might happen when evangelism goes wrong, if the technology works, I have a little video clip for you from uh, the Channel 4 comedy Black Books, from a few years ago, which I think in two minutes encapsulates what can sometimes happen or the fear of what might happen if we actually try doing evangelism. I hope the sound on this uh, works, but uh, this is, uh, I think, sums up what many of us perhaps are worried about if we actually tried it. Yes? Hello, we're wondering if we could talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> Grace, come in! What? I'd love to hear about Jesus. What's he up to now? Come on in. Come on. Uh, are you sure? Yes. In. In. Come in. It's a trick. It's just generally people don't say yes. Well, I'm not people. Come on in. Let's talk beliefs. Come in. Come in. Grab a pew. 
let's go. Well, <clears throat> to be honest, we've never actually thought this far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andy, if I could mention, we're not yeah. getting your, we're, we, we can hear it, but we can't, get, okay. we can't see it on our screen. You know what, let's move on, and uh, sorry about that, to go, um, hang on, there we go, let's come back to here. Sorry about that, thanks for Jeremy, that, Jeremy, Zoom can sometimes be a little bit odd. If you want to see the joys of that video clip, it is a remarkably beautiful illustration of evangelism going wrong. The link I put into chat uh we have put a link to that black books video i'm so sorry you, you, you didn't no, get no no we're still on the, the first page how to share your faith without looking that like an idiot really weird okay so yeah. zoom is good okay so I, that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna start restart the screen share jeremy because on my screen it's all behaving normally so let's start again and see whether we can get on to the next slide. that is zoom is doing very strange things then okay because that's a standard screen share that i use thousands of times okay you should have a picture of toronto on the screen is that coming through jeremy We've got that now. We've Is it working? That. Yes, perfect. Brilliant. Okay. Well, you know what? We, we won't retry the video. We'll just leave you to watch that on the on on the web and just go. This is why I love technology and can't wait to get back to doing events in person when things just work properly. So, how do we talk about Jesus without looking like uh, an idiot? Well, my family and I have lived in Scotland for about five years, and before then, we lived in Toronto. Hence the picture on the screen uh, there in Canada. And shortly after we moved to Toronto in 2010. Uh, I met a GP um, who became a good friend of mine. His name was Peter, and he was a committed Christian. And I remember a very early conversation uh, with uh, with Peter, in which he said to me these words. He said, uh, "He said, Andy, I love being a GP and being a Christian. There are many, many wonderful opportunities for uh, for evangelism." And he went on to tell me how he had had the privilege of uh, leading many, many patients to Christ over the years. Now, at this, my ears uh, pricked up somewhat. Um, you know, GP, leading people to faith, patients to faith in Christ. How on earth does that work? Because I meet many uh, Christian MP, uh, GPs, medics, and other public service professionals who I think are probably even afraid of mentioning their faith at work. We often, we've heard, we hear stories of, you know, Christian nurses getting fired for simply offering to, to pray with patients. So how was it that Peter was, uh, Peter was doing it and, uh, and not getting into trouble. Well, what, what Peter was doing was uh, he had discovered uh, the power of good questions. He had discovered that actually, uh, if you ask the right questions, you can do all kinds of amazing things. Uh, so he said what he would do, Peter would do, when he was confronted with a patient uh, who was facing something serious in their life, some kind of health issue or so on, he would take them on a kind of life audit. He would begin by saying, well, okay, tell me about your diet. You know, tell, are you eating well? So about your exercise regime, are you exercising regularly? And so on, half a dozen of those kinds of questions. And the very last question that Peter would throw into the mix, he would say, well, tell me about spirituality. Tell me about spirituality. Are you making space for, for that uh, in your life? And invariably, uh, the patient would reply, you know, spirituality, doctor, you know, what, what do you mean? And Peter would reply, well, you know, some people meditate. Um, some people do yoga. In my case, I'm a Christian. I, so I read the Bible when I go to church, those kind of things. And he went on to say that in about 90% of cases, um, people which the patient would then say to him something like, you, you go to church, doctor. How, how, does, how does that work? And now, of course, they're asking him questions and he is much freer to talk about his faith as, uh, as they ask him the questions and he answers. 
And he's been doing this for the point I met him, he'd been doing this for about 20 years and had, had thousands of these kind of conversations and had led uh, many, many people to, uh, to faith in Christ uh, as a result of that. And uh, quite an amazing kind of test, uh, ministry he's built there through doing that. And as I say, the key to his approach was, uh, was simple. He had simply discovered the power of asking, I'm going to slide share promise again. There we go. Can you see my slides, by the way, Jeremy? Is that coming through okay now? Yeah, I can. We're still on Toronto. Oh, the whole thing. Some Zoom is really messing around today because if you're still on Toronto, it's uh, it's stuck badly. So I um, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to kill the slide share. And uh, if you use that link that's in the chat, because obviously Zoom is having technology issues today, um, you can follow the slides along kind of later. I'll just speak. There's nothing on right. particularly crucial um yeah zoom's had a couple of outages this week so i think they're having they're having problems on the zoom side of things because screen share normally just works but so i'll just talk you just get my uh, Great. My, my ugly mug for the next half an hour but i say if you use that link in the chat you can those who want to follow along you can uh, you can do that in your web browser and say the approach that peter had taken there uh was pretty simple he was simply asking questions and of course questions are one of the most powerful evangelistic tools uh, i think that we have but they're also one of the most one of the most overlooked. And questions do a number of things really, really well. Uh, for example, questions can make the other person think and ponder. Uh, sure, as Christians, we need to be willing to to defend and uh, commend what we believe. But questions get the other person thinking about what what they believe. Um, so, for example, if I meet somebody who self-identifies as an atheist, I will often try and find a way of slipping the question into the conversation. Uh, like this and say well okay atheist tells me what you don't believe that you don't believe in god but what do you believe what do you believe about you know a whole range of things and try and get them sort of uh, thinking more creatively and the idea of using questions in, a, in evangelism uh, really comes from jesus who asked questions uh, all the time in fact somebody has has counted and calculated that there's something like 300 occasions in the gospels where jesus either asks a question or more commonly responds to a question with a question. And as an example of this, um, let me take you actually to a place in the Gospels where Jesus shows us how you can use questions in this kind of setting. If you've got a Bible with you, normally I would, I would show this on the screen share, but given the screen share is not working today. Um, let it, if you have a Bible with you, Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 and following. A famous story there in the Gospels that uh, you'll no doubt be familiar with. Let me read you the start of this story. And uh, then we will, I'll pause and make some comments and I'll read the second half. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 and following, uh, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees had gone out, went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You are not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are so tell us then what is your opinion is it right to pay the imperial tax to caesar or not now we'll come to the end of the story in a moment but just in terms of context you are probably all aware that of course first century israel was an occupied land and the roman armies were considered by most most pious jews to be evil occupying oppressors so if you paid your tax you were collaborating with the enemy but if you didn't pay your tax, that was considered to be an act of sedition by the Romans, and it could lead to arrest, torture and execution. So this is a very, very clever trap. The Pharisees have a, are about to spring on Jesus. 
um, you know, they're thinking to themselves, whatever he answers, we've got him, we've got him, whatever he answers, he either, you know, comes across as a collaborator and loses all moral, moral authority, or we can squeal to the Romans that he's uh, starting, you know, saying rebellious things and get the guy arrested. And I often reflect when I read this story that, you know, we might be worried that talking about Jesus at work might get us fired. Jesus here is faced with the challenge that if he gives the wrong answer, he might get executed or lynched, which rather sort of focuses the mind somewhat. So how does uh, Jesus answer here? Uh, well, you know, personally, every time I read this story, I find myself reflecting and thinking, I wish that Jesus had said no. You know, you must never, ever pay taxes. Because, of course, if that had uh, been the case, wouldn't it be wonderful every time you know April comes around, you know, you and I could write to the chancellor and say, you know, thanks for you know receiving all that tax we paid in the last year. But could you give it back to me, please? Because Jesus said I shan't pay tax. I'm sure I should absolutely sort sure Rishi Sunak would send us a large check if you just wrote that wrote that email. Um, but of course, if Jesus had answered no, you mustn't pay your tax and that he was going to be arrested. And if he'd answered yes, well, he'd have been morally compromised. And this is the interesting thing, because this question is not, of course, about economics. The Pharisees are not interested in Jesus's views on economic theory. This is really a question about compromise. When is it OK to, to compromise morally is one of the many things sloshing around here. So the way that Jesus handles this is brilliant. And he does it using questions. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, reading on their evil intent, said to them, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius and they asked him, whose image is this? He asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Just a whole series of little questions there. You know, have you got a coin, whose image, whose inscription, so on and so forth. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, said Jesus, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And by those sort of innocent set of little questions, Jesus manages to redefine the entire conversation. He reshapes the entire conversation so it's no longer... Uh, about taxation but uh, he's, he's enabled himself to say but well, it's okay to pay tax when it's appropriate but that's not the real issue the real issue is what we give to god and i've always wondered what would have happened if one of his questioners had turned around to him and said well okay rabbi what belongs to god i just wonder if jesus might then have asked another question whose image is on you well, using a, a question to clarify an issue like this actually has all kinds of contemporary applications. Consider this uh, scenario uh, for a moment. Imagine that you are sitting enjoying a cup of coffee at uh, uh, perhaps uh, McDonald's or Costa Coffee, or if you are very rich, you're at Starbucks or Eight Bucks, we used to call it in Toronto. And uh, you're having coffee with an old school friend who is in town. You haven't seen them for maybe 15 years and uh, you're catching up. And uh, over the conversation, it's all going very well. It's about half an hour into the conversation. They look at you over the cappuccinos and your friend says to you, oh, you're, um, you're into that Christianity thing, aren't you? Tell me, do you think abortion is wrong? And you can hear the sound of every other conversation in that coffee shop die away as other people at other tables hear this and sort of start leaning in to listen to your conversation. And, uh, you know, to your horror, there are other people now listening in as your friend e eagerly leaning forward, looking for an answer. Your heart is racing. Your palms are sweaty. You're praying for the fire alarm to sound or possibly the second coming to happen. But no luck. So what do you say to your non-Christian friend who's asked this question? Of course, the simple answer from Christian ethics is to go, yes, it's wrong. But if you simply say, yes, it's wrong, uh, what is your friend likely to think? Are they going to think to themselves? 
This is the wisest, the most reflective, the most thoughtful, most progressive answer I have ever heard. Pray tell me, where did you get this wisdom so that I can seek it for myself? Or are they more likely to think words like bigot, narrow-minded, intolerant, naive, and so on and so forth? See, the problem with this scenario is the question that you've been asked here, uh, in the eyes of our most non-Christians, what is the abortion issue all about? Well, of course, it's all about choice. And what do you call people? What do we call people who deny somebody else a choice? Well, we have words for them. We call them fascists, dictators, oppressors, and so on. So here's a thought. If answering the question uh, that you've been asked is going to give the wrong impression of you, the wrong impression of God, the wrong impression of the gospel, maybe there is something wrong with the question. Because of course, for Christians, this issue is all about life. So what about if rather than just leap in and give a you know two, uh, two or three word answer to your friend's question, what about if you responded with a question of your own? What about if you said, that's a really uh, important question you've asked me, thank you for, 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 for raising it and giving me an opportunity to share some thoughts. But I wonder if before I answer it, I wonder if I might ask you a question, just to help me understand where you're coming from. And my question for you is this, tell me, when do you think it's okay uh, to take the life of a wholly innocent person? Under what circumstances would you generally think that's okay? Now, unless you're having coffee with a psychopath, in which case actually just get out of the coffee shop as quickly as you can, going nowhere near the cutlery tray. Um, unless you're having coffee with a psychopath, your friend is probably going to reply, well, it's never okay. It's never okay to take the life of an innocent person. To which you can then respond something like, well, well, good, I'm glad to hear you say that. Because that's the real question at, at heart for, for me in this discussion about abortion. What is in the is in the womb? Is it an innocent life we are talking about? Then in which case, as you yourself have said, we can't just take that. Or is it just a random collection of atoms and particles? In which case, why is there even a discussion? We can, we can do entirely as we want, but that's the underlying issue. Now, if you take that approach, it doesn't guarantee you'll have a conversation where your friend will agree with everything you say, nor does it guarantee they'll have a weeping conversion experience, you know, half an hour into the conversation, but it does create a much more likely uh, outcome that you will have a conversation that goes somewhere helpful and substantive rather than very quickly your friend write you off as a fundamentalist they never want to hear from again because if you don't take that approach your friend is not going to hear sanctity of life they're going to hear restriction of choice and just like Jesus did with the Pharisees we too can learn to ask questions to clarify and create space uh, so we can identify and discuss the real issues because as somebody once remarked the right answer to the wrong question is always unhelpful. And questions can be incredibly powerful uh, in evangelism as we seek to share Jesus with our friends and neighbours and colleagues. And in fact, over the years, I have found there are, there are three really powerful questions that you can learn to ask and use time and time again, a bit like a kind of evangelistic toolkit. And in my last kind of 15, 20 minutes or so, I'd like to share these with you, illustrate how they work and, uh, and sort of offer them to you as a little toolkit that you can use for persuasive evangelism. And uh, really encourage you to check that web link out I put in the chat because with the slideshow not working, you'll see they are up there on that slide deck that's on the Solas website for you. So afterwards, you can take them away, print them out, stick them in your Bible, um, you know, practice them, use them and so on. And the three questions I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning are simply these. Question number one what do you mean by that? Question number two, 
why do you think that? Question number three, have you ever wondered? And let me show you uh, very, uh, very briefly how they work. Let's take the first question that I listed there, the, uh, the what do you mean by that uh, question? Let's imagine uh, an analogy again. Let's imagine that you are, you know, in a couple of days time, it's Monday, you're taking the bus somewhere, perhaps you're in, you know, the, the centre of Aberdeen, uh, going on the bus, going shopping or to work or something, and who should get on at the next bus stop? But an old school friend, another old school friend that you haven't seen for some years, 20, 30 years, and your friend gets on at the bus stop and uh, sits down next to you. And of course, as a Christian on public transport, you know, you're reading a big black Bible. Every Christian on public transport, of course, we always read the biggest Bible we can find just so everyone can see you're a Christian, right? And your friend sits down next to you, sees you reading the Bible, and uh, without so much as a hello, launches into, oh, you're not still into that Christianity rubbish, are you? Only idiots believe in God. Faith in God is just a psychological crutch for those who can't get through life on their own. There is no evidence that God exists, period. And of course, you notice a couple of things at this point. Firstly, you think to yourself, well, this is why they're an old friend, because they did this 30 years ago and you got sick of it then. And uh, also you notice that everybody else on the bus has stopped their conversations and is listening to yours, because this is what looks like free entertainment. There are either, even fellow passengers getting popcorn out from under their seats, because this is Christians versus Lions round two. And your heart is racing, uh, the adrenaline levels are in the red zone. You look at your watch and notice you've got three minutes to your bus stop anyway. So what do you say to your friend? How do you, on earth do you respond to this tirade of atheism that's come at you? Well, this is where the what do you mean by that question can be really helpful. What have you said to your friend? Well, thank you for, um, for that. Uh, I wonder if I just might ask a couple of questions. Um, you say uh, that only idiots believe in God. What, what do you mean by that? Because it seems to me there are some fairly smart people actually, who, who believe in God. Why? What, what precisely is idiotic about believing in God? Um, you might say to them, you said that faith in God is a psychological crutch. What do you mean by that? I find it quite hard to be a Christian, actually. It'd be easier not to be. I sit on, find myself sitting on public transport and I get accosted by grumpy atheists. It'd be much easier not to be a Christian. You might say, you said there was no evidence that God exists. What do you mean by that? In particular, what would count as evidence for you? What, what, what might you need to see? And lastly, actually, you could even say, look, you use the word God a couple of times in what you just said. What do you mean by that word? Um, because don't assume that everyone means the same by the word God that you do. I've heard, you know, Richard Dawkins, a very famous Oxford atheist in his book, The God Delusion, talks about God as this sort of, you know, genocidal bully living up in the clouds somewhere. I remember reading Richard's book and found myself thinking, well, I don't believe in that definition of God for starters. Um, any of those approaches using the what do you mean by that question? would get your friend begin to think about and clarify and be more precise in what they've said and would hopefully turn this now from a, perhaps a tirade into a conversation. And success for me would look like at the next bus stop when you have to get off, you'd be able to say to your friend, you know, well, this has been really interesting. Why don't we meet for coffee uh, sometime? You know, McDonald's if I'm paying, Starbucks if you're paying, and, uh, and we can talk further about these things. So the, the what do you mean by that question is a really helpful question. Uh, when you're engaging someone who has questions or objections to the Christian faith. And the second of those three questions that I shared works similarly. So the first of the three questions, what do you mean by that? The second question, um, why do you think that? And again, let me illustrate this uh, with, a, with a little sort of a thought experiment, a little scenario. Imagine this time you're, you're at work, you're sitting in the workplace and uh, minding your own uh, business, uh, but of course, as every Christian in the secular workplace there on the corner of your desk, you've got the biggest, blackest leather Bible you could 
find completely one of those wooden kind of carved eagle stands that Victorian churches have because you want all your colleagues to know you're a Christian, of course. And uh, a colleague walks past your desk, sees the Bible on your desk and, you know, quite loudly and obviously makes a very sneering remark and says, oh, you know, no one believes the Bible. You know, what do you want to bring a book like that for into the, the workplace? It's a it's a load of Iron Age superstitions. The Bible is a book of fairy tales and, and riddled with contradictions. And again, you notice a couple of things at this point. Um, first, one of the main things you notice is that all your other colleagues have looked up from their desks with interest. You know, it's Friday afternoon. That's normally the, the dead zone, but this is entertaining. Uh, and again, you can swear one or two colleagues are getting popcorn out from under their desks. This is Christians versus Lions round, you know, up to round three. What do you say um, in response to, to, to your colleague who's just launched this attack on the Bible? What do you say? You've only, only got a minute or two to make a comment because, you know, everyone's busy. They've got things to do. How do you respond? Well, this is where the uh, why do you think that question uh, rides to your rescue somewhat. What if you were to say to your colleague something like, well, thank you for uh, what you've shared there. I've, I've heard similar things from other people before. But I just wonder if you might be willing to share with me what evidence has led to that conclusion? What's led to that conclusion? Um, now, that's an interesting question to ask, because one or two things will happen at that point. Either your friend or gives colleague will give you some more detail and that will give you something to respond to. Or they'll say something like, well, everybody knows, which is just shorthand for I saw it on YouTube or I read it on Twitter. And it's pretty, pretty apparent they've got nothing behind their, their skepticism. Uh, and so it's useful to dig into why they think what they do. Um, or you might say something like, you know, I've, I've heard people say similar things before, that there are, you know, contradictions uh, in the Bible, as you said there. But I wonder, could you give me an example? Because I'd love to know what particular things that you've seen in the Bible uh, that have given you difficulty. Now, again, your friend may say, oh, just, just everybody knows, in which case, you know, that's revealing in itself. Or they may give you a particular example. And if you know the answer to the issue they raise, brilliant. But if not, even then, no problem, because then you can say, well, well, thank you, I'll think about that. And that gives you a golden opportunity to, over the next week or so, find the answer to that question. You know, Google it, uh, look it up in a book, talk to a pastor or, or what older, older, wiser Christian friend, find the answer to their question. That gives you a very good opportunity then to go back to your colleague in a week's time and say, hey, well, thank you for that issue you raised the other, the other Friday. It really got me thinking. And actually, I went and did some research. And you know what? I found there's actually a really good answer to your, to your question. Would you be interested? Now you might get a door shut in your face or your colleague might actually say, well, go on then. What have you got? And now our, now our conversation is happening. And the why do you think that question is really just designed to get your friends, you know, thinking more about their uh, their, their anti-Christian assertions, because often I find behind a lot of atheism and skepticism, yeah, there are sound bites, but there's no there's no substance. And just as, as Christians, we need to be willing to give reasons for the hope that we have. So I think we can ask our, our skeptical friends to give reasons for the uh, the skepticism that they have. So those are the first two questions uh, I wanted to share with you today. What do you uh, mean by that, and uh, why do you think that? Third one, though, as we uh, as we begin sort of just drawing the threads together here, um, what if your work colleagues, your friends, your neighbours, your family members, what if they're not, you know, virulently anti-Christian? What if they're just apathetic and agnostic? I remember once having a uh, a friend say to me, he said, I, you know, I, I would almost, uh, I would love to have, you know, a really angry atheist living next door because then I have someone to work, something to work with. But all of my friends and my neighbours. They're just totally apathetic. They're just not interested. Trying to start conversations about the gospel with them is rather like trying to nail scotch mist to the wall. You know, how do we do it? Well, this is where the, the third of our three questions. Have you ever wondered 
rides the rescue. So our first question, two questions, what do you mean by that? Why do you think that? Third question that you'll see on the list, if you look on those website, on that website slide deck, is the question, have you ever wandered? And lying behind this third question is some work that was done a few years ago by a Canadian philosopher called Charles Taylor. And Charles wrote a great big fat book called A Secular Age, uh, which is a fascinating study of the, of the times that we find ourselves living in. But in that book, he argues that we've moved from a time in which people were generally open to the idea of a spiritual reality, to one in which people are now generally closed. You know, 30, 40 years ago, most people, even though they weren't Christians, probably sort of assumed there was there was something out there. Uh, now, I think a lot of people sort of assume that, well, atoms and particles and so on are really all that there, that there is. And there is no and there is no higher power, no, no spiritual reality and so on. But for all of that, Charles says, we still live in a, in a time when our culture is haunted by, as he puts it, ghosts of transcendence, um, questions and experiences that don't really fit a godless universe. And uh, he talks in the book and others have followed up on his work and said, you think about things like, you know, joy, hope, beauty, meaning, purpose, truth, love, consciousness, human rights, uh, free will. The list goes on and on and on. And these can be incredibly fruitful areas for gently starting conversations that can become gospel orientated conversations. For example, I have a friend who is a uh, commissioning editor uh, for National Geographic magazine uh, in the States. And a few years ago, wanting to find a way to talk about Jesus at work, he started a series of lunchtime talks that have now been running for about seven years. And once a month, he would throw a free lunch and uh, invite a speaker to come and address one of those very kinds of topics. And he would boldly and bravely invite the entire you know, office building. And, uh, and I've had the privilege of speaking twice at those lunchtime talks, once on the question of beauty, uh, you know, why it is as human beings, we are so drawn to, to beauty and art and aesthetics. And then a follow up talk on the whole question of what does it mean to be human? Are we just atoms and particles or do we really have innate value and dignity? And in both cases, it was amazing to see the range of people who had come to those events. Christians uh, on the, uh, the, the office there found it very easy to invite friends to a talk on one of those kind of topics. And there were some fascinating follow-up conversations with people for whom those things were just the way of cracking open conversations about the deeper uh, things in life. Similarly, I have a, a friend who uh, is a senior faculty member at the uh, University of Toronto, and uh, he teaches human physiology. And one of his favorite tricks is to, is to use these have you ever wondered questions, but drop them into medical lectures. So he'll be busy you know, lecturing on some aspect of the human body, and then he'll use that to raise some really profound kind of ethical type of question. And then he'll say with a twinkle in his eye, you know, that's a really interesting question. Fortunately, we haven't got time to address it in today's lecture. But, you know, for any of you who want to think more about that, my door is always open. And over the years, uh, Chris has seen a steady stream of students who've been intrigued by one of these kind of questions that he's thrown out into his lectures. You know, find their way to his office, knock on the door and uh and uh, he'll be able to say them come on in kettles on and uh, he'll take the question that he began with and then engage with them and has had the privilege of leading many students to christ right there in his office and in short the, the have you ever wondered question simply takes things like justice beauty meaning significance things that our friends really 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 care about and says have you ever wondered why these things matter to us you know i'm a 
I'm one of my hobbies. I'm a mountain climber. I'm often, you know, when I've got free time, I'm, I'm bagging my way through the Scottish Munros. And I've had so many conversations with people in the outdoors around particularly things like the beauty question. You know, why is it that we've all invested time in climbing this mountain, you know, today? Uh, what is it that draws us to, to, to scenes of natural beauty and so on? Why are we why are we drawn to these kind of things? Or I have friends who are passionate about human rights and justice and stuff. And I love using that as a way into the conversation, you know, to say to my non-Christian friends, hey, just out of interest, why do you think justice matters? Why do you think human beings have rights and value and dignity? And those are all questions that if you pursue them, ultimately lead you very much in a God direction. So what do you mean by that? Have you ever wondered, why do you think that? And again, those questions there on the on the slide deck on the on the website uh, for you. And by asking good questions, we can open up the space for good conversations and create the space at work uh, or with our friends or our neighbours for sharing answers. And all of this, of course, comes from the Bible as we bring this in for a, for a close. In 1 Peter 3.15, uh, you know, Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote these, these famous words. He wrote, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. And I think people are often surprised that the Christian faith is, uh, is something for which, uh, for which reasons uh, can be given, uh, actually. And by asking good questions, we increase the, the likelihood of having a chance to share with our friends why it is we have the hope that we do, uh, answering the questions of our friends and colleagues with gentleness and respect. And finally, of course, the reason I think why why questions are so important is if you think about it for a moment, of course, the, the gospel is itself an answer uh, to a question. There's that famous scene in the gospels, if you recall, where Jesus is, is out walking in the countryside with his disciples and he turns to his disciples and he says to them, well, you know, who do, who do the crowds say that I am? And if you remember, the disciples offer some of the various bizarre answers that are circulating around in the, in the culture. You know, some people think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah. And on and on it goes. And I like to imagine actually Jesus having a bit of fun with his disciples at this moment saying, yeah, you know, those crowds, right, boys, they've got no idea, have they? And the disciples have a bit of laugh at this. And then, of course, Jesus then suddenly turns the tables because when they're all laughing and joking, suddenly Jesus turns around, looks at the 12 and says to them, OK, well, that's the crowds. Who do you who do you say that I am? And I like to imagine, as I picture the scene in my mind's eye, all the disciples getting a bit quiet at that point and looking a bit embarrassed, much shuffling of feet and, and nudging each other. You know, you, you tell him, no, you tell him. And then, and then finally, you know, Peter, as you know, in, in the story, he's the one who pipes up and says, well, you're, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the, you're the son of God, you're the Christ. And that question, of course, who do you say that I am? That's the gospel question. That's the, that's the question that Jesus asked the disciples. It's the question that Jesus asks each one of us. And it's the question we want to bring our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues to the point of confronting. Because that answer to that question is on what everything hangs. Questions are the heart of the gospel questions are a great way to get us into sharing that gospel and I hope and pray that some of those questions I've shared with you today might be things that you uh, might be encouraged or motivated to try out in conversations with your friends and your neighbours and, uh, and your colleagues. Give it a go and uh, see how the Lord works through you.